0: You know, Kyle and I was wondering just the other day, like, why do we, why does it feel like we never have enough time to talk about the nitty gritty of the Golden State Warriors? Like, what's going on behind the scenes? Why they're a game below 500? It's just post-game show after post-game show after post-game show. In just a moment, folks, you're going to understand why that's the case. We're going to break down uh, some interesting comments from Steve Kerr pertaining to Klay Thompson. We got some data regarding some good news about clay it's not all lost on him and as you saw last night uh there are going to be some good names cl- good games clearly but regardless Kyle and milson are going to break it all down next this is locked on warriors
1: you are locked on warriors your daily golden state warriors podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day
0: Thank you for making Locked On Warriors your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get podcasts, and on YouTube. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. You can follow Kylan Mills on all social media platforms at Kylan Mills. You can follow me on Threads at Dog Wild. Kylan, great to see you. Uh, how are you doing? Your final show before Thanksgiving. We're gonna have one more. It's a Warriors Suns post game show tomorrow. But how are you doing this evening? And before we start uh, talking about Clay. What are your thoughts on him uh, leading into last night and this season in general? How are you doing?
1: Doing well, Cy. I just was looking at my phone because I'm trying to tweet out to let the people know that we are live. And I'm tweeting out the link for our live stream uh, so all the rest of our followers can join us. But doing well. I'm happy the Dubs snapped that losing streak. That was a big win last night. They grinded it out one way or another. Um, And I'm excited to talk about Clay because he continues to be a little bit of an anomaly. And what, Clay Thompson, are you going to get on any given night? he started the season very slow, but going back to last season, he was up and down. There were times he was very hot. There were times he was shooting the ball really well. And then suddenly he would go through the struggle again. And it was Mm -hmm. so interesting to me because coming back from injury, it made sense that he was pressing. It made sense that he was forcing the game. It made sense that he was maybe doing a little bit too much rather than taking the easy looks and, you know, determining the right moments when to pass the ball off rather than try to force a shot. But even after he came back and he kind of found a groove then he reverted. I don't know if that's something that you noticed at all, but like I expected that early on, like in his post recovery phase and working back into playing in the NBA, but then suddenly it'd be like, Oh, Clay's figured it out. He looks great. And then, Oh, well now Clay's back to force to Oh, well now Clay's back to playing great. Um, I guess I've just been a little bit surprised by the ebb and flow with Clay. Like, yes, Mm -hmm. shooters can be streaky, but to me, it's not about shooting. It's about shot selection with him. And I know something that you want to talk about and break down is a point that both of us have continued to bring up and that he's at his best when he's catch and shoot rather than trying to create off the dribble. And I think there is no question about that. But he just forces tough, contested shots at times that don't make a lot of sense. And to me, that makes sense for a player who's just coming back from injury but like he's been back long enough now that like I can't really figure out what the issue is there's times where also I just want to know what's going on kind of in his head based on his demeanor he hangs his head a little bit like you can tell that he's going through something so I don't know I'd love to know what's going on uh between the ears of Clay Thompson, because it's like I said, just an interesting anomaly this season. What are your thoughts?
0: Well, I want to first uh speaking of his demeanor, uh, let's play the soundbite from Clay. This was after the game. It happened too late for us in the postgame to to air it. But um, I I thought the demeanor was interesting. I've never seen uh a paper airplane clay like seem this down. Um, he had his first a uh, good game of the season. Anyway, here's Clay. Let me know what you think. Hmm.
2: Is there just some restlessness to get going to, to, like you said, sort of break the seal? And how much tonight did that happen, do you think, that when you ball up and moved and found it coming back to you, that that's when you got in your rhythm? Um, I'm not restless. I mean, I'm just being myself and uh, I have full, full confidence in my ability to have a great season, although I've not shot the ball to my standards. That's fine. Season so long, you can't get discouraged. I know that better than anybody. And I try to take Steve's advice because he's seen it all. So for me, it's just about enjoying this run, having fun. What else do you prove?
0: <laughs> Does
2: he seem like someone who's
0: having fun? Like, did that not seem forced, or am I just reading that?
1: He seemed like Emo Clay. That's what he looked like to me like Emo Clay, who's in his feelings and down and out. Um,
0: that was weird. Yeah. Was weird I don't know.
1: He definitely doesn't that definitely that, that press conference and the way that he was just talking and interacting and the body language definitely didn't seem like someone who's feeling super joyful after a win. I'm not, you know, a professional by any means in in determining or reading people's body language, but it definitely didn't look to me like he was having fun. And and that's no. the big thing. And last night it was a much better performance. So if there was a time for him to not be emo and depressed, it should have been last night. Um but I, I don't
0: know. Well, there's more to this, right? Because one thing that among many little nuggets that in that uh, attribution there was Clay referencing that, you know, he listens to Steve Kerr. That he mentioned that Kerr has seen it all. And um, then we see a story today from Anthony Slater uh, via The Athletic where uh, Anthony Slater quoted Steve Kerr saying, quote, Clay has to get off the ball when he's not open rather than try to beat his guy one on one and take a difficult fadeaway. That's what we're trying to focus on. Um, and I think that just echoes what a lot of people, you and I included, have been saying that uh, part of Clay's problem is he's for- forcing a lot of shots that as Kerr mentioned, he's going one-on-one um, but there's more to the quote than just that. And I wanted to actually hear it. Uh, it was part of last night's post-game press conference. And and uh, let's, let's everyone listen to Steve Kerr together and then um, we can dissect the whole quote because it was a lot more than that. So, here was Steve Kerr talking about um, how what his approach is with Clay and what he thinks Clay needs to do uh, to be successful.
2: Well, he made a couple early, and then he immediately took two bad shots. So I did not sense it early. So uh, I just reminded him. I said, "Look, if you know if you're not open, just move it. Look, look at these guys we have on the team who who will get you the ball." And uh, we had a, a beautiful possession um, early on where the ball. Swung and hit the paint twice. It was drive kick, drive kick again. I think Clay hit the three to end that possession, and that was uh, that's the blueprint, right? And, and but in order for that to happen, you know, Clay has to get off the ball when he's not open, um, rather than you know try to beat his guy one on one and take a, a difficult fadeaway. So that's what we're, we're focusing on, and um, you know as, if he does that consistently, then the game's going to open up for him.
0: All right, so that was the full quote, um, and, and and he was very honest there about the, the beginning of the game, how bringing up specific instances where Clay was forcing shots. Um, Kylan, before we get into the, some interesting stats, anything you want to add in, on what Kerr said there?
1: I completely agree with Steve Kerr, and this Warriors motion offense, there's some fluidity, but it relies on floor spacing and ball movement and. In- anytime you have the ball in one individual's hands, and they're dribbling all around. Like it just doesn't do justice to the way this offense is built and it runs at its best. And Steve Kerr just pointed out the Warriors do, or, you know, a lot of it is based on the dribble penetration and kick out. It's, it's a, you know, that's kind of the bread and butter or, or the, you know, the foundation of this offense. And, and that's where you see the Warriors are the best getting wide open looks. Yes, they can do a lot off the pick and roll, but when you are able to, you know, one of the guys is able to, force the defense to collapse, the dribble penetration, kick out. They swing the ball around the horn, another dribble penetration. You you swing it out once again to a guy who's wide open beyond the arc. Those are the shots you're looking for. Not like dribble down, two passes in, and then Clay Thompson decides to take his guy one-on-one, three, four dribbles, pulls up or, you know, dances around and then tries to step back beyond the arc. Like that's just not his best game. And that doesn't serve the Warriors' offense, uh, you know, it doesn't it doesn't do it justice. Now, granted, I think there, you know, Steph Curry is more of a player who can shoot those threes off the dribble. So not to say that there never should be dribbling in the motion offense. But to me, it's very clear that's not Clay Thompson's greatest skill set. He's yeah, better I- when he's catch and shoot, taking shots. Um, and it's funny that he brought up because I pointed out yesterday in postgame, he did have one. But at the time, I remember thinking, like, why, Clay? Why? Where he took his defender 1v1, dribbled the baseline, turn around, fade away baseline, and he ended up hitting it. But at the time, I remember thinking, like, this is not the right shot. These are the shots that haven't been falling for Clay Thompson, and these are the times where it feels like he's forcing it a little bit. Um, So, you know, I agree with what what Steve Kerr said. I think there are definitely times – at least for me, it's frustrating because you see Clay and you're thinking, like, this is not the time to shoot. This is not the time to take your defender 1v1, one on one, pass the ball. Like, there, are, you know what I mean? Like, there are times, mm-hmm. especially when Clay Thompson's struggling, that I feel like he could be making a pass to wait and to help create a better shot.
0: Absolutely. And just uh, for the YouTube viewers, you can see that stat down there. Uh, just to reiterate for the podcast listeners, Clay stat. of the Year is uh, what's up?
1: I just said that's a great stat.
0: Yeah, just uh clay on the year is shooting uh, 38.2% on catch and shoot threes, uh, 27.3% on pull up threes, uh, and just 31.4% on pull up jump shots. Now when he's wide open, uh, and we've heard if you're watching the NBC broadcast locally, Bob Fitzgerald has been uh, repeating this uh, a lot during the games, that on wide open threes, Clay's shooting 52.6%. So when he's wide open, they're still going in. Um, but again, a lot of it is just clay forcing it. He's still drawing gravity. Like defenders are still yeah. respecting him, which is huge, right? I mean, if he's not doing that, then you're just an absolute albatross out there. Uh, one last thing on clay before we move on, because a lot of people have been bringing up the fact that, um, that, you know, he's a slow starter, right? You know, Rick Barry is on the show saying that I'm hearing almost everybody, even in the chat, I've heard a few people, uh, uh saying that as well. Um, here are some of his numbers through the first 15 games of the season. And I went back the last five years just to, to give us some perspective, right? Um, Clay Thompson in 27, 2016, 2017, uh, that was the first year with Kevin Durant. He averaged 20.7 points per game. He averaged 2.8 rebounds per game. Uh, in 2017, 18, uh, first 15 games, he averaged 20.1 points per game. 4.1 rebounds per game, also averaged 2.8 assists. Uh, 2018-19, this was the year that sadly at the very end of it in the NBA finals, he blew out his ACL. He was averaging 21.9 points per game, 3.7 rebounds, 1.8 assists through the first 15 games of that season. Then we didn't see him for close to three years because of, you know, the aforementioned injuries. Uh, Then in the 2021-2022 season, uh, he averaged seventeen point one points per game, three point seven rebounds per game, Um, and then so yeah, so that kind of gives you. And then and then last year, uh, in his first-
1: during those years, side really quick question: like, what what are his shooting numbers in terms of like field goal and three point percentage? Like, was I don't have more- those? I don't have okay. Those. okay. I, well, I just I guess- curious. Also, on top of those numbers, was he more efficient than he is right now? Because that's one thing, and I feel like post injury, the efficiency has been an issue. Sorry, I feel like I...
0: everything's been an issue. Like so, so well, yeah. last year, for for example, he shot thirty seven point nine percent from three, and then from the field, he shot thirty nine point three percent, and they neither of those are are great, but they're still higher than this year. Um, so just giving some giving folks some perspective, because give actually the one number I don't have is his numbers this year. Uh, do you have Do you have those right now in front of you? I guess I can pull that up real fast. Um,
1: uh, I don't in front of me, no. All
0: right, we'll I have it right here. So right now, given all those numbers I just read to you, this year through 15 games, that includes last night's game, he's averaging 14.4 points per game. And then the rebounds and assists are pretty comparable. Um, but his, his field goal percentage uh, currently this year, 40.3. So that's actually higher than it was last year. Um, but his three-point percentage is down to 34.3. The three-point number is the one that, is really sagging. And I think that's what's affecting is, is shooting the up mo- the is affecting his shooting the most. So those are his numbers again, through the first 15 games going back five years or so. Um, these are just overall numbers. Uh, you know, if you want to nitpick, we can, but um, the point is he, yeah, he does. Sl- he does. I guess it depends on the year. Some of those starts, uh, the averages were comparable to his overall numbers for the season. Um, but this year, the first fifteen is is by far the lowest of what we've seen uh, in Clay's career, outside of maybe his rookie year. I don't. I haven't gone back that far. I guess I could do that if we want. I guess in twenty oh, what twelve was that his rookie season? Um, his first fifteen games. Again, his rookie year was bad. His rookie year, he was putting up Kaminga type numbers, like what Kaminga is doing this year. He averaged just six point seven points and just one point five rebounds per game his rookie year. And then his second year in the league, if we want to start seeing the growth, that went up to fifteen point four. So. Well we're, what we're saying here in terms of scoring is what Clay is doing through the first 15 games is the worst he's put up since his rookie year. So that's where we're at. Now we, we could talk about shooting. Um, like his second year in the league, his three point percentage through the first 15 games was just thirty one point three. Um, so that's a little better this year versus his second year in the league, um, and it's probably better than his rookie year as well. So for what it's worth, that's what we got there. Um, when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about some other players as well. Is there are we done with Clay? Is there anything we should uh Yeah,
1: ask someone to that asked me? like on how many attempts per game. So I was trying to look it up, but I haven't got there yet.
0: Oh, field goal attempts per game? Mm-hmm. Um oh, you're saying whether or not he's putting up more or less than? So I guess Yeah, okay, yeah, so
1: I would say someone just asked that and I was trying to look All it right, up. I can get it right here. So he last so last game.
0: year through the first 15 games, he was putting up 15.6 field goal attempts per game. 15.6. Um okay. this year that number is down to or is down to 12.9. So he, so the field goal attempts are down slightly, which is probably because again, he's struggling and he's putting up less shots. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, I got you, answered. Jesse.
1: Sorry, we can move on.
0: Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. And I see it right here in the chat. Um, or at least I had, oh, uh, yeah, Jesse Gonzalez right there. Yeah. So that's that's the how many uh, per attempt in case we're looking that up. So the point is, it is early, right? And again, last night was encouraging, it was a slump busting game. We're going to talk about other players in just a moment, um, except we have no live reads. Look at that, Kylan. So we'll be back right right back. More.
1: You are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
0: Locked On has launched the first ever National Sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever National Sports 24-7 streaming channel. In fact, if you're watching this on YouTube it should redirect right to uh, um, Locked On Sports 24 7 right after this if you want to check it out. So, regardless, you can follow Kylan Mills on all social media platforms at her name, Kylan Mills. Again, you can follow me, Cyrus Otz, is on threads at Dog Wild. You know, a lot of people have been talking about um, Chris Paul and, you know, how, how positive of an influence he's been on the Warriors this season. Um, I just want to read some stats. Here. Actually, do you have the email in front of you with those numbers that I sent you? Do you want to do it real fast? read Chris Paul's numbers or, do, or do you want me to go for it? Uh, go for it. All right. So Chris Paul had a horrible start to the season. I think he was shooting what, like, like 15% from three. I didn't get um, your email, Sai. <laughs> oh, or you're or the text message. I'm sorry. Whatever. Oh, 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 I was like, you sent an email with Chris Paul's number. The rundown, the rundown. Um, uh, yeah. So, so Chris Paul though, his threes are falling. And I think that's been, just is something that, that should be acknowledged as well. Um, over the last four games, he's shooting 61.5 nine percent from deep he's made 13 of 21 that certainly makes up for um you know the, the offensive output we lost uh with Jordan Poole being traded to the Washington Wizards Jordan Poole by the way I saw this stat I don't know if you saw this Kylan um here I'll, I'll even share this image so that the YouTube audience can see this yeah um, just to to be blown away because there are quite a few people who are not happy that Jordan Poole got traded uh off this roster A lot of people were mad at Draymond Green for possibly being the catalyst behind that. Jordan Poole right now, his net rating on the year is minus 14.2. That is the worst plus minus of any individual with a minimum of 15 field goal attempts per game all time. Not this season, not over the last five or 10 years, all time. So Jordan Poole uh, and now there's speculation that the Warriors uh, I'm sorry, the, the Wizards might trade him. He's on the trading block. So yeah, the Chris Paul trade, I think, worked out and then some. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Are you, what are your thoughts on Chris Paul in general?
1: uh Chris Paul was the right move for the Warriors I questioned it at the time I do think it made sense if the Warriors were going to move a piece that Jordan Poole would be the piece to move I don't think personally that it quite worked out based on the role the Warriors were looking for in terms of someone being able to spark and run the second unit to me after what we saw last season it was fair to say Jordan Poole wasn't the guy Um, I still think JP three could have a future in this league to be successful. He's still very young. Um, I do still think he needs refining some of the decision-making, the composure issues, shot selection issues could be worked out. The Warriors don't have time for that. That's a big part of the issue. So I don't want to, you know, like I'm not coming on here just to, you know, rag on JP three, which I feel like some people are doing, they're just, you know, looking for an opportunity to jump on him. I just don't think that it, made sense with where the warriors are at right now could he work through some of the, those issues i still think it's very possible but i think that the warriors made the right trade um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's very apparent to me they needed cp3 for a lot of different things but just the changeover and the contrast between jordan Poole in the second unit and chris paul is stark The assist to turnover ratio is the number one thing that stands out. And the Warriors needed that. They already have, especially this season, young players that they're looking to in the second unit um especially with Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody having bigger roles I'd like to see Moses Moody have an even bigger role than he's had lately but still um you know some of those guys do need the veteran leadership and and someone who's going to not only be a ball handler and facilitator but a good decision maker and CP3 has done all of that and above the only issue has been that he hasn't been able to shoot the ball that's Mm -hmm. been a big problem and you know I know you've been analyzing his numbers it seems like he's on the up and up but that's really the only question that remains is how to get CP3 hitting some shots, but that's not why the Warriors brought him here. I almost feel like he, they don't really need him to score. Um, do I think it would help, especially when the Warriors are in a slump like they have been? Yeah. But if Wiggins and Clay Thompson are scoring and playing to the level they should be playing at, they don't necessarily need CP3 to be a score. They need mm-hmm. him to do exactly what he's been doing in, in running the offense. And I like him closing out games because of that composure that he has and the good decision making. I like him closing out games. I like him running in the second unit. I like him giving Steph some reprieve and being able to take over the role, especially over the course of a long 82 game season. Everything about the fit has been much more than I ever expected.
0: Yeah, and um, you know, I put on the on the description on the right side again. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, we put you know kind of little headlines on the side of our screen, letting everyone know what we're going to talk about. And I put on their trade proposal. And at the beginning of the show, I'm seeing a lot of people say, "Don't trade Chris Paul. Don't trade Chris Paul," because his name is often been mentioned as the one player that the Warriors might move if it gets to that point. Great news, folks. That's not the player I'm thinking of. Um, the, there's a name out there. A lot of people bring up Laurie Markkinen. I still have no idea where people are are pulling that. Um, I guess there's some speculation that the Jazz may want to move him because his next contract will likely be somewhere in the max level. And who knows if the Utah Jazz are, are open to, to paying him that amount of money when they're in a transition period of their organization. Um, I mean, look, Laurie Markinen's great, but I don't know if he's worth max dollars. But I digress. Look, it's going to be damn near impossible for the Warriors to offer a package to Utah that could get a player like Laurie Barkin. Now, there is a player out there um who is going to be available if he's not available now. And I think the Warriors should make a play on this immediately. And the player's name is Daniil Gallinari. We've, we've been talking about him for a while now. Um, you know, the Celtics uh, traded him last year uh, in, in all the wheeling and dealing that rebuilt their roster. And um, and he, he missed all of last season because of that torn ACL. Uh, he's playing for the Wizards right now. Um, this is a kid who I, I say kid, he's in his 30s. Uh, but he's uh, he's you know, he's like he's he's a big player, he's somewhere with like the six, eight, six, nine range. I don't actually have his height in he's front of 6'10. me, he's 6'10, even better. So he's a big, according to the NBA website. There you go, and that's and the NBA website is supposed to list those accurately based on their right. Their I, was saying, without, I don't know
1: if that's embellishing an inch or not. No, but. not
0: not if it's from the NBA, no, yeah. no. Um, but here's the thing. So Danilo Gallinari at 6'10", <clears throat> he spaces the floor. Um, he's, a, he's a solid three-point shooter, solid offensive player in general, and he's only making $6.8 million this year. So you could package something that, that includes Corey Joseph and maybe just one more piece on a minimum deal. You're going to have to throw in a first-round pick or two, and the question then becomes, okay, how much is worth it for Danilo Gallinari, a player who's 35 years old, I think he turns 36 this year, um, but look, if you're in a win-now mentality, which is, seems like the Warriors are in, and if you really want to help Stephen Curry, trade Corey Joseph, throw in whatever that second player is. I, I, I honestly, off the top of my head, don't know if you can trade two-way contracts. I don't think you can. Um, but you also have flexibility. You can sign and trade someone, for example, on a minimum deal. You can get creative is my point. There are ways to make a trade happen for Daniel Golinari. Uh, what are your thoughts on on that trade happening? Because I saw that name out there as available, and I thought to myself, it's an incredibly uh, low price you're paying to get them. And it could be, could be such a high reward. What are your thoughts on Danilo Gallinari?
1: Uh, so I'm not as old as you. I, I, I'm i open to the idea, but I have a couple of issues with Gallinari's game. Number one, he's not great defensively. And two, he's slow. Um, he definitely can still shoot the three ball. And like you said, the floor spacing aspect is something that would help the Warriors But with the way the Warriors also have needed defensive help, they were not as good last year defensively as they were during the 2022 season or when they won the championship. Um, And defense is something that Steve Kerr absolutely harps on. And I still think they need some defensive help. So and I also feel like he's very similar to Dario Saric uh, in terms of some of his skill set. To where, like, to me, if they're going to trade for a big, I'd rather see more of a traditional five. Now, Gallinari has been playing a little bit as a backup five, I believe, with the Wizards this year. However, Correct. you're also talking about the worst team in the NBA. So I don't know what that says about whether or not he can play that. But to me, if they were going to bring in a big, I'd rather bring in a traditional five than someone. Like I said, his skill set to me is is fairly comparable with Sharich's. Um, And then also, like, I just, I don't love giving up a first round draft pick for him just because he, you know, you're talking about the future in exchange for a guy who's 35, 36 years old, who also is injury prone. He's coming off that ACL tear, you know, still remains to be seen whether or not he's going to be able to put together a full NBA season. 35, 36, that's tough. That's a tough injury to come back from and be able to go full steam ahead. Um, So I... Just like I said, I I don't like hate it. Like I like adding size 610 does provide some length. I think that a floor spacer who can shoot a stretch big definitely can work with the Warriors, but I just, I'm, I'm fine with getting rid of Corey Joseph, but like I said, I'm kind of like, eh, like a first round pick, possibly the future. And I just what if like, it's
0: two, wh- what if it's two second round picks?
1: Yeah, I, I, I would be more, I'd be more on board uh, for okay. a trade like that. Um, I would be more on board for that. Um, yeah. So I guess I I think there's some positives. I think there's some negatives. Um, I wouldn't hate it. Uh, I will be surprised if the Warriors do let go of Corey Joseph though, because I do think that it was intentional that they wanted to build in a lot of point guard depth with this roster because both CP three and Steph, are so, (laughs) I feel bad saying so old. I don't mean so old, but so old in terms of basketball here since they're both mid to late 30s. Is Steph Mm -hmm. 35 now?
0: Yeah, he'll be 36 in March.
1: Okay, so I was going to say, we're talking about 35, 38, you know, 39. You're talking about guys who are getting up there. Um, I do think the Warriors were intentional about point guard depth. And because Brandon Pajemski is still a rookie, still so young, Lester Quinones still is fairly unproven in terms of being able to run the point fully at an NBA level, I just feel like they like having Corey Joseph just as an insurance piece on the roster, even though I know you and I personally don't love him and I don't, but I just, that's another thing that I don't know if I would see it happening. Seeker is an aversion for bigs. We've talked about this uh, plenty of times that this roster, uh, you know, it's never been a point where he was looking to make it bigger. Um, and I do think they like having that extra, like I said, just that extra insurance at the point.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't get that. I, I to me, just the, the point guard, a traditional point guard in general, is a vastly overrated position. Like, I actually like what the Suns did this year, where they were like, we don't want one. Like, like just uh, the the yeah, reason it's why fighting, like, it's
2: fighting, the reason why them an
0: ass is because Bradley Beal has been injured. But yeah, I, I I've I've seen so many championship teams that have not there where there it just has not been a part of the formula to actually win a title and steve curry you're right he loves these traditional point guards like it it calms him having someone like that other he oftentimes is running two point guards out there like like i see every time i see brandon pajemski out there i'm like yes and then he's alongside another point guard every time and i'm like like why are there two point guards out there like you're right it's 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 wild to me but um yeah just because loves you by the way uh So you know, Jesse Gonzalez, why right?
1: Jesse?
0: He's keeping it classy though, so it's all good there. Um, yeah, so that's the only look, and again, trade proposals aren't easy. Um, yeah. you know, if anyone has has better ideas, like I hear Kai Jones, I see his name listed in the chat. There's no chance in hell the Warriors are getting Kai Jones. Uh, his you, you got to remember the chemistry thing is so so big for Steve Kerr in terms of variables of a personality, and yeah. If you're not someone that's going to be a company man, meaning like you're, you know, you're acquiescing like any demands for the ball, playing time, like forget it, you know. And 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 for Kai Jones to have like the the the, bra- the publicly of saying like I'm the best guy on this team, and you know like he's <clears throat> yeah, there's no I, there's no chance in hell, like there is no chance in hell, uh, in my humble opinion, that that is going to happen, but. Um, yeah. And the, the, you brought up, you know, like the, the Warriors defense needing help. Like I wanted to mention their numbers right now through 15 games, Perfect. uh, in terms of, uh, a defensive rating. Um, and I had this in front of me just a second ago. Where did you go? Oh no. Did I lose it? God damn it. Hold on. Is it over here? I lost it. Okay. Well, well, here's what their overall rankings are. Um, the Warriors offense right now in terms of points per game is 12th out of 30 teams. Does that surprise you? Do you think that's that's uh oh here it is. Their offensive rating. So they're scoring 113.2 points per 100 possessions, but they're giving up 112.9 points per game per 100 possessions. So their net rating right now is 0.3, meaning through 15 games per 100 possessions, they're outscoring their opponents by just 0.3. Uh to put it in perspective, like during their title runs, th- that number is like at 8 uh during during yeah during their yeah it was if not higher um what, what are your thoughts on that offensively they're 12th in the nba out of 30 teams in terms of points per game defensively they're 15th out of 30 teams um they're right in the middle of the pack on both sides is any of that concerning to you is it is it par for the course um does that make you rethink what they need in terms of any potential moves your thoughts kylan
1: Um, it's not a huge surprise because I mean, flat out the Warriors are in the middle of the pack and right now they're right around 500. So, uh, it it fits the bill based on how they've been playing. I think I would have been curious to see what those numbers were like before the six game losing streak. Uh, because I do think that prior to that, they, you know, they came out very hot to start the season. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised. I mean, I just, I think that's pretty much where the Warriors are at right now. Um, I think they've been middle of the pack in terms of scoring and, A big reason why is that Klay Thompson Mm -hmm. and Andrew Wiggins have been struggling. Mm -hmm. Um, Steph Curry can't do it all. He's the only guy who's been consistently showing up every single night. Their number two and three scorers have to put the ball in the basket, and it flat out hasn't been happening. Um, Mm -hmm. Draymond Green's been hurt. That also, I think, has been affecting the defensive efficiency uh, because he's such an important piece of the Warriors defensively. Um, But for me, the big thing is getting someone besides Steph to regularly score the basketball We just talked about how CP3 hasn't been shooting the ball well, so you can't count on him night in and night out. So you're taking out, Clay Thompson's been off. Andrew Wiggins has been off. CP3 Mm -hmm. hasn't been able to shoot, although he's been doing other things well. So the question that keeps coming up that we talked about in the show is who's the second scorer behind Steph? Who's the third behind Steph? There's no one consistently doing that right now. I mean, you start then looking to the bench. We've had some one-off nice performances from Dario Scharich where he puts up some numbers, Jonathan Kaminga can be a threat, but like, there's no one who is consistently you can rely on being a secondary scorer behind Steph, And I think that's a big problem that needs to be addressed.
0: Yeah. Agreed. Uh, No, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, Where are we over the clock? Okay. So we're wrapping up here real fast. Would you, what would be your guess for the most efficient uh, starting or not starting, but just five man lineup for the Warriors in terms of net rating, would you have any guesses or clues?
1: So last time it was a surprising starting five. We talked about this like 10 games ago, like 10 games in or whatever. And I feel like I was shocked because Clay Thompson was in it, but Moses Moody was in it. And I liked that. Um, however, I, to me, the most efficient players that the Warriors have, I don't know what the combination, but it would be Steph, CP3. I think Moses Moody, maybe... Draymond, I, I don't know. Okay, then I start to. I'm not sure. Just tell me. Just
0: tell me. All right, all right. Well, first of all, Draymond is not in most of these. Uh, but okay. the most efficient lineup is what Steve Kerr's been going with for the starting lineup the last two games. Okay. Um, Chris Paul, Steph, yeah, Clay, Wiggins, okay. and Looney. They are a uh, plus twenty-two on the year, and they played seventy-five minutes together. It is interesting, which does explain why. We've seen that starting lineup out there. Um, I didn't. I honestly
1: wasn't going to put Wiggins in any, just because how bad he's been to start the yeah. season in any of the most efficient lineups at all. Like, so I'm actually that's one that surprises me.
0: Yeah, and then the second most, if we're going a minimum of 25 minutes play together, uh, number two is Steph. I oh, don't know Draymond's in this one. Okay, so Steph, Draymond, Wiggins, Looney, and then Moody. That's your that's your second most. But then they're a plus seven on the year. So. Um, really, the only one that's played heavy minutes that has been successful so far um, has been an iteration of what we saw a year ago, except you swap out Chris Paul uh, for Draymond Green. So there you go. That is interesting. There um, you go. Very interesting. Uh, happy Thanksgiving, because uh, because we're not going to see you again. I'll be back with you folks tomorrow night for post game. Uh, Gary Payton II is questionable. Um, he did scrimmage with the team today, uh, so it's going to depend on how he feels tomorrow. He Santos has been called with Santa Cruz. Kylan. Happy Thanksgiving once again, I found your family. Bye everyone. Bye, Colin. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Bye-bye. Adios.
2: (laughs) Good show. Good show. Good time.